you aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. Hello to the Missing Witches Coven. I want you, oh, it's your auntie Amy. I want you to join me today in welcoming an amazing artist, Cedar Eve Peters. Thank you so much, Cedar. Can you tell our listeners a bit about who you are? Uh, sure. Um, I am a artist. <laughs> I kind of dabble in everything, but my main focus um, is beadwork and painting so I do large-scale murals sometimes um and uh for the beadwork I mostly make um earrings and chokers uh it's more jewelry based um trying to get into more like textile things as well uh <laughs> and yeah and then I work with youth during the school year when when that's allowed because <laughs> right now COVID and stuff um yeah in other years yeah <laughs> so we'll get into the specifics of your artistry but I did promise Risa that I would mention she has a t-shirt with one of your images mm -hmm. on it and it's one of her favorites so I promised her that I would send that love to you that you know <laughs> your artwork keeps her cozy <laughs> 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 so let's break it down a bit. You mentioned um, jewelry and beadwork. So let's start there. I mean, I approached you because um, I, I was working on the Buffy St. Marie episode and she said that her uh, spirituality is creativity. And you refer to yourself as the color wizard. And we'll definitely get into like more color magic. But can you talk a little bit about... Um, how your jewelry has come to be? Yeah, um, I'd like to say that the colored wizard is not a self-proclamation. Uh, my friends call me that, so <laughs> I just thought it would be funny um, to call myself that as well. I really like the sound of it. Me too. Um, yeah, um, I've always been interested in art. I've been doing art since I was a young kid. I was mostly doing, like, painting and drawing when I was growing up. Um, I went to an art high school in Toronto. So there I was focused mostly on photography, like working in the dark room. Um, and then, yeah, and then I applied for Concordia. So I moved here for university um, doing studio arts. Or again, I focused on mostly painting and drawing. Um, but after I graduated, like I really wanted to try to make it as an artist and like be self-sufficient in that um, and found it was pretty difficult to sell paintings and drawings consistently. Um, beadwork was never something that I thought I would actually take up. It was more of just like the curiosity of learning something new because I had never really um, touched on it and I, I'm self-taught, so, like, I was just looking at, like, YouTube videos and, like, different things online to learn, um, and I, I really, really hated it when I first started. I thought it was, like, the most tedious thing, um, really difficult, but now I beat every day, and I really love it, and I never thought that, like, it would be as successful as it is, and, um, yeah, for me, it's, like, become super therapeutic, and it's... Um, I can't imagine my life without it at this point. Um, yeah. And like the colors um, for me, colors are very healing. And a lot of the time I, I find that I do art because 
um, I don't know. I think I'm just like, yeah, trying to work through like whatever's going on in my life. So it is like healing to create things. And I think using bright color just like makes me feel happy when I'm making whatever it is I'm making. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I read in one of your bios that your beadwork is also inspired by your mother and grandmother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how so? Uh, well, my grandma on my mom's my maternal grandmother um, Lizzie, she used to do quill work. So she she was insane. Like she passed away when I was four, so that was something that was never passed on to me. Um, but I have some of her pieces, and I cherish them. Um, my mom just has like a huge collection of jewelry. <laughs> like. Every time she goes somewhere, I don't know, she just buys jewelry. Um, so her beadwork collection is pretty awesome from like being on the powwow trail when she was younger, like before she had me. Um, so yeah, looking through old family photographs, I see a lot of uh, my grandma and my mom wearing like fringe style beaded earrings. And uh, yeah, it's it's inspiring to see. And my mom still has some of those those pairs. So it's cool to be able to like see it in real life and then see it in this photo that was taken like 35 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And do you have any specific colors that make you think of specific things? Um, it's funny. Cause like, I don't know. I started doing these projects of beating on family photographs and um, the one I did of my grandma, Lizzie, like, just the way that the color, the color tones are in that photo, I decided to use gold as the background. So I just thought it like looked good together. And then when I finished that piece, I was talking to my mom and she was like, she hates the color gold. But she was like, why did you choose that color? And I was like, I don't know, you know, it just, it looked good. And she was like, oh, well, you know, that was your grandma's favorite color, gold. So and I was like, that's nuts that I didn't know that prior to doing that. And um, so yeah, I feel like sometimes I maybe like gravitate towards colors that they loved, like purples and golds and turquoises and stuff. And do you think that she, your grandmother communicated that gold vibe to you in that I, moment? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Cause I think that that's a, a like whether it's um, beadwork or uh, baking or, you know, if we're doing the things that our, our ancestors did, whether they died when we were four and we never really got to connect with them on that, like you know, person to person level, but it is like absolutely a connection that forms. Yeah. Like I was like, how is that? Like that can't just be coincidence. I don't think. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I like to think that she Um, was like telling me (laughs) to change that color. (laughs) Is that where I read in another one of your bios that your the colors you use are rooted in ancestral knowledge. Is that where that comes from? That communication between you and your grandmother? Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's so beautiful I love that so we talk a lot about like the micro and the macro and I think you as an artist are like an embodiment of that from like the tiny detailed patience of bead work and working with the tiniest like beads there, there aren't many smaller media than beads but you also do large-scale murals mm-hmm. yeah so, <laughs> what what's the same about beadwork and murals and what's different and how do you take up so much space with your artistic praxis um i guess the similarities are like i just feel the need to create and so like whether like no matter what medium that might be through um 
I just happen to really like beading and painting. Uh, but yeah, it's true. Like beading is so there are these tiny little objects that you use and then you build something pretty big out of it. And I really like that idea that like, and it's nice to hold too. Um, like it's a textural thing as well for me, I think um, for painting. Yeah. Cause when I'm beading, I'm like, just like, you know, so within myself, like I'm not really moving much, like I'm sitting still at a desk. And then when I'm doing a mural, I'm using my whole body and like, depending on the size of it, some of them have been 40 feet long. So like, you know, taking up all that physical space um, feels really good to get energy out. <clears throat> so yeah, sometimes before I beat, I'll like draw something really quick if I feel like anxious or something. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really special to be able to like be invited to paint in public and, and show my work and have people be so receptive to it. Cause that's like, just, I couldn't ask for more, honestly, <laughs> when it comes to like my livelihood and just living, you know? Yeah. And can you tell us um, about some of your murals specifically, like where people can see them? Yeah. Um, there's for in Canada, there's uh, a few in Montreal. So there's some at, uh, there's one in St. Henry around the corner from the Metro. I think it's a uh, St. Jacques and St. Philippe corner. Um, there's one in the high school there across the street in the history classroom. If any students are listening. <laughs> um, and then there's one in Ottawa um, under the pedestrian tunnel um, by the Portage bridge. I'm not too familiar with like Ottawa intersection. So that's as much as I could say about that. Um, yeah. And then Concordia is housing a few in their school. Um, I'm going to be doing one in Toronto soon and one's going to be up in Winnipeg soon for wall to wall. So yes, we're, this uh we're we're recording this and then it's going to go online in a couple of few weeks so listeners if you're listening to this now i think your latest you cedar not you our <laughs> listeners <laughs> you cedar your your toronto project will be in full swing or just about finishing up yeah yeah so hopefully when this airs i guess people will be able to go and see it the one in toronto will be along lakeshore um and coxwell Lakeshore and Coxwell got that Toronto. So <laughs> murals, um, I mean, can we talk about like philosophically how important murals are in terms of like taking up or claiming public space? Yeah. Um, I think it's really important. Um, I mean, I feel like I've been really fortunate in, in how they've kind of come to me. Like the first one I did was with a group of like four other indigenous students from Concordia and we went to Peru and uh, like painted at an elementary school there. And that was kind of like my first taste of it. And it was like really great because we got to work with the youth that were there and connect with like the community, um, which is really important when you're traveling, I think. Um and then just like the history of murals or street art, I guess, is more male dominated or like white cis het males. <laughs> so to be able to um, maybe showcase alongside that kind of demographics, like really important, I think, because there aren't that many, I guess, female identifying street artists um, or people of color really being represented. Like, Every time I come up with a mural 
and I know it's an indigenous artist, I get so excited because I just feel like, I don't know, it just feels like home in that sense. <laughs> like we're being visible in the public eye and we're still existing and like not, we're not dead. <laughs> yeah. And here and taking up space and, and with, with beauty and art. Mm-hmm. Because you too, I mean, um, again, like you know, your your jewelry, your beadwork comes from like a, a your your grandmother, your mother. You also work with digital. I mean, one of my favorite portraits ever in the history of portraiture is the one that you did of yourself with like some digital color wizardry <laughs> around your face. I'll definitely, with your permission, I'll put it on social media so our listeners know exactly the one I'm talking about. So it just seems to me that it's just like you said, like as long as you're making art, there's no limit to what you'll use or, or what the product will be, the end result um, do you do you ever want to put limitations on yourself? Do you ever think maybe I should concentrate on this, or is that just like a horror of an idea? <laughs> oh, no, I never want to box myself in because I feel like creativity comes in like all forms, and you shouldn't have to be as an artist. You shouldn't have to be limited to only being able to work in one medium or or be able to do like one thing well. You know, like. I don't know. I've been really fortunate in that, like growing up, it was always supported. Um, Like my, my parents are really supportive of me being an artist and being creative. Um, And then like being in um, high school and then university, like I was able to kind of dabble in, in everything. So there's not much I haven't tried. Um, So I, I know what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are, but like photo was always like my number one passion. Like since I was a kid, like I've always had a camera. Um, And now like, and, and I never had like a computer growing up. Like I didn't have access to social media and stuff like that as a teenager. So I was always like doing collage or like hands-on things. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird now that when I'm doing those digital portraits, cause I'm not physically able to touch the photo and use markers. Like it's just like my one Apple pen or whatever and drawing on a screen. <laughs> like, like it's fun, but it's also like, it's just a different feeling to it. Um, yeah, so I do prefer more analog things. Like if I had the option, I always print out my photos. I only shoot film. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh wow, you only shoot film. Yeah. Um, like I have a digital camera, but I don't think I've ever printed anything out of it. Like, film is yeah my number my number one. I don't really see the point in and- taking photos if it's not with film. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. So do you work in a dark room ever or? Uh, not anymore. Like in high school, I had that experience. Um, and then I was going to build my own dark room, but then I just didn't because <laughs> there wasn't really space in all the places I was living. But like I have a projector um, like for the negatives and stuff. And um, like I just send my my rolls of film to, uh, to different places to get developed. So yeah. yeah and when- then I have Android camera still so I've been using that a lot and then the like new those new Instax cameras <laughs> I don't know what that is it's What's like that? a poor, but like a smaller version like a credit card size um, what yeah but it's instant so yeah <laughs> it's oh wow cool. 
Yeah, because yeah. I, I grew up with the Polaroids that weighed about eight pounds and you had to have like a special purse if you wanted to carry it around. <laughs> so that would yeah. be so fun. <laughs> so, I mean, because, because you've experimented with, with so many uh, media, um, can you tell me about your process of failure? Like, I, I always say, like, you have to be willing to not succeed if you want to be constantly experimenting that's sort of the nature of experimentation is you have to be willing for it to not work out the way you thought it was so can you tell me about like experimentation and and failure yeah uh don't be scared of it (laughs) um but yeah i don't know i uh i've like you know after graduating from university it was like so long before i was able to like live off of my art fully it's probably only been like maybe three years at the most and I graduated like almost a decade ago so like I yeah it's not just like an overnight thing obviously like I think if you're really passionate about something and you're a creative person then you'll continue to do those things no matter like what maybe outside people say because at a lot of like uh, not so such great professors <clears throat> in my undergrad that I felt like really didn't support me as a person and my, and let alone my art like <laughs> so and then I had some really great teachers that were like extremely important to me and like I don't know it's I think you really just try to focus on like the positive people that are giving you good feedback and wanting to like share your vision like listen to that over people that are like being negative about whatever it is you're making. Um, but if, oh yeah, no, okay. I, what, what if what if the person being negative about what you're making is you? Uh, I try to like I don't know. I do have those days. It's not like every day I'm like yeah I'm gonna make something awesome. Like, I'm the world's honestly, greatest artist. I've like, been like. Yeah. Oh my god, like I should be making stuff, but I watched a bunch of movies and like <laughs> didn't really do that. But like because I'm a full-time artist and I'm I'm my own boss, like I've learned that it's okay when I'm not in a creative mood, like I'm I'm allowed to take a day off and watch movies and not feel guilty about it. Um and when the creativity is there to run with it and like make as many things as physically possible in a day um but it's like it's a struggle because I feel like obviously people are their own worst critics or judges of character so I do have like a lot of guilt when I'm not uh creating things or or when I'm doing something and it doesn't work out the way I imagined and then I get like mad and like I guess I'm not gonna make that anymore but I really hate giving up on things so I usually just push through it trying to figure it out as frustrating as it is what do you think about the concept of muses like artistic inspiration comes from your grandmother aside um comes from some greater source that we don't understand what do you think about that idea i really like that idea because i think there's so much in this world that we don't know or understand and that there's like I believe that there's like different realms or different planes of existence existing at one time. So like just from my own personal experiences, like I 
do believe in a higher power. I don't know what that is, but I think that like we have ancestors and spirits around us guiding us all the time. And we just have to like, listen, like be quiet and listen to it. Um, yeah. Cause like, yeah, sometimes I'll dream about different color schemes or um, like patterns and stuff like that. And then I'll make it. And then I don't know. I'm like, Oh, I guess maybe that was like a, a message from an ancestor, like telling me to do that or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot of philosophy about what's going on when we dream a lot of science too. Nobody has really cracked it yet. So I think us witches are just able to, you know, decide for ourselves, but that it's kind of in line with the, the Buffy St. Marie sort of quote unquote, um, that her spirituality is creativity. Does that resonate with you too? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I just, there's, I can't imagine doing anything else with my life, to be honest. (laughs) Like if I'm not creating art, like, I don't know. I don't know. There's, I'm sure I'm good at other things, but I don't want to find out because I like (laughs) art too much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm keeping that I'm keeping that I'm sure I'm good at other things but uh, I don't want to find out I like where what I'm doing right now (laughs) so can you tell me a little bit about unseated voices and what that is and your involvement yeah um it's uh I guess not annually anymore but uh just a a mural um, convergence that happens in Montreal usually um, with mostly female identifying street artists, um, queer POC um, from Canada. The year that I was painting, there was two from the States um, from California. And then the rest of us were from, uh, yeah, around Canada. So mostly Ontario and Quebec um yeah so we like came together for a week I think it was eight or nine days in August three years ago in St. Henry neighborhood in Montreal um so some of them were partnered up um some of us painted solo um and we each got yeah our own space to do whatever whatever we wanted and it was really cool and Camille um, she was the organizer, like the curator for it. Um, yeah, it was just like, I don't know. She's awesome. All the artists were really awesome. I felt like I have never felt so supported by like a group of people that I've never met. Like if there wasn't like competition or like a hierarchy, which sometimes I feel when I'm invited to certain mural festivals or you know when I'm meeting certain mural artists even like yeah it was just like it just felt like such a strong sense of community and um I don't know it was really special I was like really happy to be a part of that you mentioned earlier that you do some like youth outreach work can you describe that a little bit yeah um so in the last two years I've been working alongside um the organization is called InPath, but their branch is either Mukjam or Nuijanan. And um it's an organization that helps facilitate um artists 
into communities and usually in Northern, I've been placed in Northern Quebec. Um, some of them are in like rural BC or Northern Ontario. Um, so a lot of it is, yeah, it's like, I think 60 artists are on the roster. So just artists from all over Canada, all different backgrounds, uh, all different disciplines that get to go into the communities for either four or six weeks at a time. Um, working on a prod, like a, like a, a, there's like a guiding question. So your projects are kind of based along around that. Um, yeah, you just get to work with awesome indigenous youth in these communities and it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, I don't know. It's really special. Youth are really funny. I really enjoy working with them. Um, and so I've been fortunate enough to go up there in, um, I was in Wiskaganish and Mysticini. And then last year I was in Wiminji, um, doing, uh, beadwork projects with them. Um, yeah. So it was pretty cool. Um, can you share with us one of the guiding questions or an example of one of the guiding questions that you used in these exercises? Yeah. yeah mine was, um, if you could speak to your ancestors, what would you say? So <gasps> hold on, hold on. <laughs> say it again. If you could speak to your ancestors, what would you say? Ask yourselves this listeners. Wow. Ask yourself this. Wow. <laughs> And do you have an answer? I mean, I imagine all of the the children that you worked with um, had very, very, very different answers. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was mostly like I just really wanted them to be working with family photographs and doing like mixed media with them. Um, and ancestors like doesn't necessarily have to be blood related. Or like we also frame the question as like people within your community. Um, whether yeah that's your blood relation or not like um and just yeah what kind of conversation would you have with them what do you think maybe your relationship would be with them if they're alive or passed away like I don't know I just feel like personally for me I have like I never got really got to meet my grandparents and so I think about that a lot and like what my relationship would be with them if they were still alive or how would I maybe be different if I had their guidance as a, as a young kid growing up? Um, yeah. So it's cool. And it's really beautiful because, because I love photos. So like, it's really nice to see the kids bring in um, old family photographs. And then we have a year end show and like um, one of those shows, it was really beautiful. I guess all of them actually that we've done, like when the, um, people in the community come out, you know, their family members are like, I haven't seen this photo in so long. Or like, I miss that person. Like, oh my gosh. You know, so it's like really nice, I think, for them as well to see maybe a family member being honored in that way. Like not forgotten. So you you um, are doing with them the same work that you do where you take a photograph and you actually are, are painting or beating or, or or changing it in some way and then presenting it in like a gallery kind of setting. Yeah. That makes me think of one of the one of the things that I read about you somewhere, I can't remember, um, that said that you were inspired by shape-shifting. So obviously yeah. we can think of shape-shifting as taking a photograph and making like a piece of quote-unquote fine art with it. But what does shape-shifting mean to you? It's interesting. I never really thought of it in the way that you just described it. <laughs> <laughs> um, shape-shifting to me is more of just like, 
Well, just like from stories that I've heard growing up, like, I don't know, just being wary of shapeshifters and people like for me personally, I think people are capable of wearing so many different masks depending on who they're around and what their situation is. So like, I, I always joke, like trust no one, you know, when like I trust people, but I'm also like really wary about people and like, I don't know. I just feel like I've encountered too many people that are one way with me. And then I hear crazy stories and I'm like, Oh my God, that person's actually really terrible. Like, like, I don't know. So yeah. And then when I think about like the Sims, maybe kind of silly, but like actors, you know, like actors and actresses, I think that they're like the perfect embodiment of shape shifters because that's what they do for a job. Like they turn into different characters for their movies. So like, they walk among us, you know, like, we just <laughs> have to, like, I don't know, trust our instincts, I guess, when meeting new people. And yeah, I don't know. And then also, like, I, the I, levels of existence, too, that I believe in, too. So I'm like, oh, like, yeah, where's that? What? I don't know. What is that person's spirit? You know, like, because yeah. Yeah. there's there's uh, like a, a supernatural idea of a shapeshifter, you know, where a, a person actually like, I, I don't know, a werewolf is probably like the most common example, like someone who actually, but you're talking about it in terms of just like how we go about our lives. Yeah, I think about oh. that. <laughs> yeah. And so there, you know, sometimes shapeshifters are, are trying to deceive you. Mm-hmm. Oh, being one thing in one place and another thing in another place. Yeah. Or just like, also just like not really knowing maybe what people are capable of, like depending on their situation. So like, I don't know. Yeah. Just maybe trusting someone completely and then them being not that safe person anymore because they did something really terrible. Like, I don't know. I think that that's kind of like shape-shifting in a way too. Cause you're just like, how can someone be so like loving to someone and yet be so abusive in whatever way that means, you know? Are yeah. you, are you a shapeshifter? Uh, I think we are all are capable of it. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm a pretty um, like introverted person. So I think also shapeshifting in that way, depending on who I'm around, like sometimes I'll just be really quiet, but if I'm around people that I know then I'm like more loud and outgoing, I guess. I think that's true for a lot of um, us. So I guess I, I shapeshift in that sense. If that makes any sense. It makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> but yeah, like the mythological side of it too, of just like these creature beings that that live in our our legends and folklore. Mm. Just like, yeah, there's shapeshifting stories in um, different indigenous cultures as well. So um, just being aware, I guess, of like... I don't know. Like, I, I feel like those stories are always used as like cautionary tales. Uh, I don't know if tales is the right word, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Stories to warn you about certain things or um, being aware of like the land that you're on or the like environment that you're in um, being respectful of being on the land. <laughs> and uh, honoring treaties we won't get into nova scotia but we will say honoring treaties yeah. um, and and that 
uh, that brings me to like, obviously, like you don't speak for all Indigenous people or even all uh, Anishinaabe people. Um, but for you and your praxis, what is like the number one message that if you could get it across to our listeners and whoever else they're speaking to, what, what's, what's the overarching message from your perspective, from your praxis? Um, in regards to just like daily life? Or <laughs> Whatever you think is important. I'm leaving it to you to decide like, what is it important Lord, for you? <laughs> I know, I know it is a lot of pressure. Like, oh my goodness, I have one second to figure out what kind of wisdom <laughs> I want to impart. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think like being respectful of like, I think respect is a huge thing. So like being respectful towards people, the land, like just in your day-to-day life um, and being, I guess, like humble as well. Like, I don't know. I feel like every day I try to just like take a moment to be thankful for like things. Even if I'm having a shitty day, I'm like usually – things look up in the end. Um, And I know that's like not the case for like everyone, but just having like, I don't know. Yeah. Respect for yourself too. Like not dealing with shitty people when they have bad energy that like that's draining, you know, like, I don't know. I think being in a, in quarantine or like seclusion and not being able to hang out with friends as often or at all has been like really eye-opening in terms of like who I choose to spend my time with and where I want to put that energy and um yeah like if I'm not excited about going somewhere or doing something like why would I force myself to do that like listen to your body in that respect (laughs) um yeah. And just, yeah, I don't know. Just being nice to people, treat people the way you want to be treated. <laughs> Seems so obvious to me. Yeah. How come? <laughs> it can be so hard for me and for other people. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Especially when people are shape-shifting and you don't know who you're dealing with from one <laughs> moment to the next. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so from you and your art, um, as, as we wrap this up, um, I, I want to take and from this conversation, the, the micro and the macro and giving reverence to tiny things and big things mm-hmm. and listening to our dreams and finding colors in our dreams and then bringing them into our real, quote unquote, real, you know, non-dream state lives. Mm-hmm. That is a major inspiration that I've taken from you today on this day. Awesome. <laughs> and again, can you repeat, and then we'll sign off, um, the, the question, the guiding question that you gave to your students and then that you have passed on to our listeners, and then we'll say goodbye for today. Um, it's, if you could speak to your ancestors, what would you say? Thank you so much, Cedar Eve Peters. I can't wait to um, hopefully come across some of your Uh, murals when I'm allowed to leave my house again (laughs) and the latest one again is in Toronto on Lakeshore yeah Lakeshore and Coxwell um yeah it should be up I guess by second week of October yeah yeah 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. So drop your socials and where people can buy your art or your jewelry and your jewelry because it is also art. So <laughs> I probably didn't need to add that, but um, it's all direct buying. So either on Facebook through Cedar Eve Creations or on Instagram at Cedar Eve. So C E D A R E V E. Um, and we'll be putting that in the show notes and of course you'll see it on Instagram and you can just click through and you take DMs for purchases. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Yep. So yeah, mostly, yeah, people will just directly message me and I'll let them know if it's available. I try to keep my posts updated as to what's sold or not. So if anything is usually over like a month old, it's not there. I can guarantee that. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, listeners, if you see something you like, snap it up because it's not going to be there forever and neither are any of us. So why wait? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you again so much, Cedar Eve. It's been a joy. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> it's nice meeting you. You must be a witch. Don't forget to go to foxglovefarm.com and use offer code missingwitches.